A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. I have one of my favorite humans on today to tell you about an amazing product that we both love. Why, thank you, honey. This is Milkman Mark Hyman here telling you about the Almond Cow which I saw on those Instagram posts, and I thought, we've got to have one of these and see whether it is actually as good as it looks. And it is. It's actually even better because there are things that you can make out of it. Almond milk, oat milk. Cashew milk. Uh, coconut milk. Anything you want, you can make in this. And what's great is you have, there are fewer preservatives, less sugar, and then what you get left over at the end is this pulp that you can make into, can make cookies or muffins, so nothing goes to waste. And it's there any time, so if you run out of milk, you don't have to run to the store. It is so amazing. We love it, love it, love it. So if you want to get your own, check out the link and use code Lara for extra savings. Approved by the Milkman. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A where you ask the questions and we answer with joy and excitement. I am joined by my beautiful co-host, physical therapist, lit senior teacher, all-around stellar human, Kristen Williams. Oh, thank you, Laura. This is wonderful to be here. I love doing this with you. Oh, you know, like I love it too. People in the whole wide world. So we have some great questions to get to today. Let's go ahead and start with one that came in through support at Lit Yoga. Um, this one is from, from Jordan Sumter. Hi, Laura. Love the podcast. And I have a question for Wednesday's Q&A. I am a yoga instructor and competitive dance teacher. I love to incorporate yoga into classes. The kids also love it. I have a dancer who also trains in pre-professional ballet program. She's 13 and very hypermobile. She has started to develop this issue where her knees pop out. She's popped her right knee out twice and now recently her left one. Her PT thinks she has Ehlers-Danlos and, she, and she'll just grow out of it. So her and her parents are just kind of treating it pretty normal and repeating the cycle when it happens. Uh, parentheses, cries, pops knee in, modifies jumps, but keeps dancing, starts PT again for a couple of weeks, resume full dancing five to six days a week and parentheses. Do you have recommendations on certain things I could offer in our yoga part of class to help maybe strengthen her muscles? Or is it something I can't really help with in class? To be honest, I'm just worried about it popping out in my class during our competitive routine. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, first of all, Jordan, no, I don't think there's anything you can do in a group class that's going to help her enough. Um, and 
not to be a Debbie Downer, but this is a situation that, I mean, the fact that they're already, she's already dislocating the patella and she's done it several times. Um, and you don't outgrow hypermobility. <laughs> so that's wrong information. What, the, okay, so the negative is this. It's only going to get worse. And the more you pop it out, the more like basically the proprioception, the structural um, integrity that might be there is only going to um, decrease, which means it's going to get to the point where the, I've seen these people, they end up having to have corrective surgery because they just don't have any structural integrity to hold that knee in place. And it's, and it's, not, it's not just the knee, obviously. It's up the chain that's creating this um, impact that would, that would uh, sublux or dislocate her joint, uh, her patella. So dance is, is double-edged sword. It's probably something she could seemingly excel at because aesthetically she can make shapes because of this hypermobility, but it is also absolutely going to end up making all of this so much worse on her joints. And that's very hard to say to a kid. Like I can't, I'm trying to imagine being in that position. My child loves dance, wants to do it. And the fact, but the fact is there are, everybody's body is a little different and everybody's history and genetics. And then you add something like this, um, Ehlers-Danlos or any kind of any, anything on the hypermobility syndrome um, onto that. And it, and there's just some activities that are really not going to be good for these people, unfortunately. What somebody with hypermobility needs is stability, needs a lot of very, very restrained movement with a lot of core stabilization and not going anywhere near to that end range. Remember, hypermobility is not just going to the end range, it's going beyond the end range. And people with this often don't even have, they don't feel it. They're like legs up in the air, legs around their head. It feels like nothing to them. Whereas, you know, the regular kind of uh, nervous system community with uh, collagen that isn't, ha you know, having some kind of difference are going to be like getting all kinds of feedback. They could never do it. So that's, that's such, that's the hugest problem is that dance is going to ask her to go into big ranges. She's not going to feel what those big ranges are doing to the joints. She's not getting any feedback. And clearly that's happening already with the knee. So there's nothing, I, I mean, I hate to say it this way, I don't think there's anything you can do in a group class that's going to help her in that. Now, if I could add anything positive, I would say she needs to have one-on-one -on -one sessions with a knowledgeable PT uh, who knows a lot about hypermobility, that it is not something that goes away. It, go, it gets worse if it's not addressed. I do have a podcast with the hypermobility MD and maybe suggesting her parents listen to that because she really talks about how there are these stages of hypermobility. And this, this young gal is in the first one, which is the fun stage, but she's kind of going into the second one, which is the, you know, where things start to not feel so great. But the fun stage is like, Hey, I can do all these things. And, um, but it's, it's the, it's the stage where people don't pay as much attention because there aren't any major symptoms happening. She's already getting some symptoms, which, you know, having your patella sublux is, is not a, a normal occurrence. So that, yeah. that's, that's, I, I hate to be the downer, but like, <sighs> yeah. Yeah. This breaks my heart. It you breaks know, my, yeah. I totally see this where these young girls are lauded 
for their mm -hmm. flexibility. And that's how they get into dance. That's how they get into gymnastics. That's how they get into cheerleading these flyer positions where they are applauded for being able to do this stuff at a young age. They are pushed to improve that that flexibility without any notice being paid to, to the strength. Um, and yeah, she's 13 and she's already suffering from this. So I think what you could do, because you did say at the end, honestly, I just don't want it to happen in my class. So this is where you're paying attention to her. The ballerina wants to toe out everything. Well, that toe out position, then you bend the knee, that patella wants to pop out. It wants to track laterally because of that, you know, that position of the hip and foot. So really watching her in a goddess that she's not going to her ballet second position or whatever that, I guess it would be, you know, but whatever, mm -hmm. plie squat. She is in a 45 degree at max foot position. You're watching her in side lunges, you know, that, that, that she is not going to a place where her knees passing the toe, she's sitting back into the hips, you know, that her movements are smaller in your class or, and if it is a class setting that you really don't want to keep calling her out, then, and you are maybe with all ballerinas, then you choreograph that class to be smaller, to really work on stability that they're going to find actually probably pretty hard airplane pose things, um, you know, the, that those little things that we take for granted ballerinas tend to they're, they're shocked that controlled movement between poses the small movements the um you know getting her into a neutral pelvis just to have her work there so that's going to be for you so she is less likely to dislocate in your class because i agree with lara if she continues on this pre-professional ballet track five to six days a week, you know, subluxing her knee or dislocating her knee, getting it put back in a couple of weeks of physical therapy. She's right back on it. This will only get worse. She is stretching those ligaments. They don't come back. They are already loose. Now she's making them looser. So she has less feedback, which is why she's going to just see this happen more and more and more and more, because normally in a normal body, we'll feel that strain and we'll, oh, we'll pull back. Well, she has none of that. She has none of that mechanoreceptor action working already. And then now she stretched it. So it's even worse. I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings. No, I do too. Going to continue uh, happening. No, and I, we're always like, hey, we can make this, you know, we can help you with this. This is something that uh, she can be helped, but it's not going to be in this ballet world, unfortunately. It really isn't because um, the knee already being unstable, like Kristen was mentioning, if she flexes and she's in this kind of, you know, flexing and loading and then going to turn like any kind of rotation with that. I mean, she has she doesn't have ligamentous stability. That's also probably I bet she doesn't have really good proximal stability in her hips to help that. So it's translating down. So she really needs to go into like a like a boot camp for proximal stability, smaller movement um, and I don't know if that would then allow her to come back to it. I'm not, I, you know, my, my gut would say no, but you know, I don't want to be again, like trashing on someone's dreams. That's the hardest thing in the world, you know, but you have to think about it like this. Like my son is almost six, six, he's playing basketball, but if he didn't grow to six, six, like as much as he loves basketball, he's just, that's just, it might not have happened for him. 
there is some, we have some genetic propensity to make, uh, like I'm talking about, you know, not just like all of us that are just doing yoga for fun, not as a profession, but to do something really seriously and focused, whether you want to do it as a long-term like passion or a, a career or play, you know, collegiately, you do have to have some, um, genetics on your side, at least, not against you, okay? That isn't to say that everybody has to be 6'5". It doesn't. It's just that he's not he's not talented enough, and I, no offense, Jenna, but in other ways, to his height helps him on that end, right? So if you already have some genetics that are not working for you significantly in a, in a specific sport activity that is going to constantly butt up against that, that that is just where you have to say, like, this might not be the right thing. So hard to, so hard to hear. I'm sorry to hear that. Um, Jordan, I hope she, ah, deep breath with that. So sad. Sorry about that. Okay. So on to the next question. This is from Susan. I have cervical stenosis and thanks to you, I don't do headstands anymore. Are there any other poses to avoid? I'm going to start off with that. Maybe tell everybody what cervical stenosis is. Yeah. So stenosis is a narrowing of space. And so when the cervical spine, we will see it occur in two spaces, two areas, the area where the spinal cord comes down and also the areas where the spinal nerves come out. So no matter which one she's describing, you know, when we have that narrowing, we really want to avoid provocative positions that narrow it further specifically especially in the um facet joints the extension you know extension is going to close down and then flexion will tend to open up and so you know yes i mean i would really watch your um cobra watch so many traditional lit low lunge lizard you know there's this whole throw the head back because it's I don't know, you're saluting the sun or something. Um, <laughs> that's just the worst possible thing you could do if you, extension is not good for stenosis. This would be in the low back, this would be in the in the neck, um, because you're closing down on an area that is already closed down either with bony tissue or sometimes with ligamentous thickening or even with a, a disc bulge or herniation or even a shift, we get this closing down. So we want to maintain neutral. So I'm not saying flex at the spine, but just finding neutral is really going to help you to stack better, weight bear better. You're already not weight bearing through the head, which is very, very smart. But, you know, watch. And that's really, I want to say that is, that's hard to feel. So I would recommend taking video of yourself doing things. I, I have worked with people who have had neck issues, who literally hurt themselves badly doing headstands. And while they might feel that they're not in that, that forward head, in the forward head position, we get extension in the upper cervical spine, flexion in the lower cervical spine. You know, they, they really feel, but I'm in a, I'm in good posture. It's like, when I show them the video, oh my goodness, you know, we really need to develop that strength here. So video yourself, watch yourself when you do a plank that you're not jutting your head forward, that you're lifted in the backside of the head and the, uh, backside of the jaw, like the, the mastoid process, that you're not throwing your head back in, in cobra, in locust, in so many different lunge variations that, that we do, that you're not turning your head up to look at the sky. You're just 
again, provoking something that doesn't, we don't want to scratch a scab, you know, we want to just let things heal. We want to heal through movement in a, in a, the most healthy way. And that's going to be finding that triple S, strengthening the front side, getting that natural curve back as best you can, which then will, you know, people are walking around with terrible stenosis who have no pain. So stenosis does not equate with pain. Stenosis does not equate with doomsday predictions or prognoses. So know that you have that, which just means I want to find neutral. I want to not be extended looking up. I don't want to be jutted forward where we get extension up high. I want to be in a triple S throughout my practice. Um, and that's going to be you're going to feel great. It's going to help strengthen as well as mobilize, you know, those, those areas in your neck that, that might be restricted. What else do you have to add to that, Laura? Um, nothing much, but I mean, if you're thinking of, of specific poses, I mean, it sounds like you're doing lit. So you already know we don't do things like fish, which for this exact reason, exact same reason is really, you know, when we're letting our head release, like in table, you're letting gravity, so it's essentially almost neutral with a little bit of extension, but when you're on the other end and your torso, so this end, my torso is higher, my head is down. With fish, my torso is higher, and then I bring my head back. I have to go into hyper hyperextension to get the head on the ground, and it it's just not a good, like, I don't even know why people do that pose, so um, that, something like that, like to Kristen's point, would not be great for you, but Everything else she said, like if you're already doing lit and you're finding like you're not doing headstands anyway, uh, great. Dolphin's great. Your head's, you know, your neck is neutral. We look straight ahead with our low lunge. If you want to, if your head, just think of your head as being on top of the spine and the spine laterally flexes and it just comes with it as opposed to sometimes we will release it. You can just keep it neutral as, as it's going. You don't, you don't just having more awareness of your where your skull is in space. But to Kristen's point, this is again, like we, it's not a doomsday prediction. It's just more information so that you, um, I always, with somebody like something in the spine, I'm always like, well, let's look at what might've led to this. And so, and so that we can rebalance it because what's leading to it is almost always position of the head, position of the shoulder, the contributing, you know, the whole, let's just say the whole triple S is usually out of, out of balance. So, yeah. yeah. Great question. I think that affects a lot of people. Yeah. Um, all right. So our next question here comes um, anonymously through our support at Lit Yoga. This person says, I have a question for Wednesday Q&A. I'm having tingling occasionally under my big toe and big metatarsal area. Sometimes it radiates towards my second and third toe, right foot only. I notice it after work when I am barefoot, standing, walking at home, not when seated, for example, watching TV or reading, not every day, but on and off for a few months now. I have also had some pain in the outer side of my right hip at the greater trochanter. This is present seated as well as standing. I've been practicing lit, as you know, for many years, and I'm pretty aware of my body. The right hip pain has been an issue for me prior to lit and shows up perhaps once a year. This is the first time that the tingling has been present. I am wondering if this is some if this is how something like Morton's neuroma starts showing up. I am also being very mindful when I'm practicing and focusing greatly on keeping my space in my hips in all poses. I also have osteopenia and osteoporosis. 
Any suggestions to help this? Thank you so much. She also did um, come back to add later that um, she is on her feet all day, no desk job, and sits for a max half hour for lunch. Plus, she also wears a wide toe shoebox. Hmm. So that's, well, first of all, we love that you gave us so much, so yeah. much information. Um, you know, and I, I'll start with this one. You know, yeah. I certainly think that when we start to see things that tingling is a little, little sign, flag, yeah, flag that there's some sort of neurological involvement usually. Um, and so she is describing this, this tingling in the foot. She also has a history and she's talking about in the, you know, the second and third toe, but occasionally, you know, mostly it's in the big toe and like the big metatarsal area. Occasionally it's only on the right side. She, um, only has it when, uh, standing, not when seated on and off. She also talks about some pain in the outer, you know, side of the right hip. Um, so, you know, my mind, when I start to hear that automatically goes to, all right, it's only on the right side. It's kind of following this, um, dermatome of, you know, from the low back that, that kind of runs down the side of the leg crosses over and then comes right over into that big, that big toe area. Um, could it be related to the hip? Absolutely. Could she have a Morton's neuroma? You know, Absolutely. Uh, but she's also kind of doing all the things that we know she should be doing with the wide toe box. I don't think she's wearing pointy toed shoes. You know, um, she does, she doesn't talk about any specific tenderness to touch down there. It's more just a tingling. So my first inclination is to think that this is actually coming up from the low back slash hip area. We know she has this osteopenia osteoporosis. So is that related? Maybe. So, you know, my recommendation would be to let's start proximal. Mm -hmm. Let's clear that out. We can kind of think of this as like layers of an onion. Um, if, if, if she lies on her back and does some nerve glides, uh, and does that affect it? it uh, if she stretches out her hip, you know, that place that we know she's had a history of maybe greater trochanteric bursitis, or is this actually referred pain again from the SI joint? We know she's doing a lit, so we know she's smart in her movement patterns, but she also has this job where she is standing all day long. And it is so easy. We talk about sitting being the new smoking. Well, so is prolonged standing. I mean, prolonged standing for me beats up. That's when I start to feel my back because mm. I'm human and I don't hold my great triple S. I don't hold my low back space open. I might sink into that low back and, and start to get, that's when I will start to get radiating symptoms occasionally. When I, when I go for long runs and I'm, and I'm not properly prepared for it, I'm going right into that anterior tilt and I will get some numbness and weird feelings in my feet sometimes. And so I treat proximally. Um, so, you know, for her, I would start doing some nerve glides, seeing if that helps. I would open up that low back fascia. I would, you know, open up into the hips. We know she's strong, so she's probably strengthening there. We, um, you know, just through her lit practice, but you know, what can she do throughout her day to really pay attention? Um, can she, to be honest, you know, stop and get some flexion in her spine, you know, make sure that she is changing 
the position of that back throughout the day. Um, can she stop, go up against a wall and press the back into the wall? Because I'm just assuming, perhaps incorrectly, that if you're standing all day long, we all tend to kind of go into that anterior pelvic tilt. You know, we tend to all get a little lazy. We might be going into a sway back. You know, so what can we do to open up that soft tissue throughout the day? Can she stop and stretch out her hips into that piriformis, into that lateral hip and see if that doesn't, by working up proximally, clear up what's maybe starting down here. And then if that doesn't fix it, you know, then maybe you do look, or maybe you do them both at the same time. You take a look and you palpate around those metatarsal heads to see, does she have some tenderness to touch? Does she have those classic signs of Morton's neuroma, or is this actually coming from higher up, even at the knee joint, you know, what's happening there? So what else do you have to add to that, Laura? I agree. I mean, it sounds like, you know, think about if you're standing, like you said, even the most aware of us are going to tend to kind of pitch the pelvis forward and the knees back, and you can f track the sciatic nerve, and it's and it's and then it comes then then the, you know, the branches of it then come across the calcaneus into the foot. So, the other thing I I love that you said she probably needs some flexion. I would do a happy squat where you are like getting ankle dorsiflexion, because yes, it could be coming from the hip. It could also be coming behind the knee, but this kind of thing you're talking about with into the big the metatarsal head specifically and into the toe, this could be through the tarsal tunnel. Mm -hmm. There's impen there's an entrapment, and that is a, that plantar fascia. Maybe it's not sore, but if it's if it's not getting pulled on through some good ankle dorsiflexion, because think about it: if you're standing a lot, that's not like you know, you're not, your, your ankle's neutral. So you're going to really like need to, I think, go, go do some, um, happy squats. If you're not unlit daily, that's basically just flexing, but coming maybe from a down dog and walking back into it. So you can keep the heels loaded. You're flexing at the ankle, the knee and the hip. And then you can add on to a little opening in the back by just leaning your ribs on there and getting some back fascial depth. Ah, oh, that feels so good. And then you're just, uh, you're kind of releasing that pull across the sciatic nerve, but actually getting down into the, the, you know, distal end of it. Cause it could be that all of that stuff, you know, it's like, again, a wire coming down from the hip. I agree with Kristen. I think uh, you, it's probably originated there and still something might be there, but the standing is making it happen and it's coming down and these peripheral entrapments, um, really can happen in the plantar nerves as they and they weave through the plantar fascia and come around from un the medial side under, uh, I'm sorry, the lateral side under to the medial side where the big toe is. So you can um, just keep the fascia more pliable by doing some more stuff, doing some happy squats during the day, doing some toe raises and then down and doing some lunges. G yeah, get not just standing, like you said, stagnant because... This comes back to when people are like, I got, a st I got a standing desk. And I'm always like, okay, that might not be the answer. The answer is to move, change positions. So because standing desk, people would have the same issues, if not like even more dramatic. Because again, they're pitching. It's hard to maintain this plumb line when you don't have any support of like a chair or anything. So it's putting actually kind of more demand on you, which is good for a short period of time, but then you need to change positions. So I think look at the hip, 
tried some of those stretches and then look down and see like, well, how is your, how is your plantar fascia? Even if it's not bothering you now, is it getting a regular um, ankle dorsiflexion during the day? Because as we always say, we know you do late, you know it regularly, but it, what you do all those other hours does impact. So try and kind of infuse some of that in there and then let us know. Okay. Do you have another one or do we want to? Uh, yes, I have, I have one more. This Big is um, from Sarah, who is a PT. Can you talk a bit about your, about Raynaud's and things you do to help manage also suggestions for others? I'm working with some patients and I'm recently diagnosed myself. So Raynaud's is this, um, speaking of nerves, uh, it's, tends to, I think it's pretty genetic. It seems to be genetic. I know people who live in cold climates who have no problem with it and people that wor live in warm climates who get a little bit cold and all of a sudden, so the, the um, tips of the fingers will get um, very cold and numb, <laughs> and it's, but it's associated with cold. It doesn't just happen without the cold component. So there's some kind of thermoregulation nerve that um, that can that can really impact, and then it feels really numb, and you're like, I have it, I have it. She probably does. So um, I don't have it enough that it bothers me. I just know like, oh, if I'm really really cold, um, and it's gotten numb, and because then it, your dexterity's gone, and not only doesn't feel that great, but it, I just get it under hot water fast and start rubbing. For me, it's a total th thermoregulation thing. Like if I get heat there, it's okay. I need to um, wear gloves, you know, instead of, um, I mean, I need to wear mittens instead of gloves because mittens I can get, I can stay, like I'll go for a walk and I'll start to feel that creeping in the tips of the fingers and I just start rubbing them together. So circulation. So there is a circulatory component. Um, I don't know. It, it, again, it seems to be hereditary. I don't think it goes away. I think you manage it by knowing what helps. And so what helps me is, Mittens instead of gloves, keeping them warm. If they do get cold, I immediately start rubbing. I get them in my sweatshirt. I get them under hot water, and it do, it's really not an issue. I don't have them dramatically like it happens any other time. It's like I have to be – it's cold weather is when I get it. Do you have any no, other I'm, I'm the exact same way. I have yeah. the same type of symptoms, um, and I do the exact same thing. I mean, I absolutely – gloves are a no-go you know I, I mm -hmm. got to do I have to and sometimes I'll even do two layers where I might have a yeah. I might do like a, a a thin glove underneath a mitten mm -hmm. which can help I will do those little hand warmers if I know I'm going to be out like skiing oh skiing I had to have the hand warm. my, my husband's yeah. like it's not that cold I'm like okay I no. have to have this where I can't hold the pole <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, like it's painful. I mean, it, mm -hmm. I, I I walk my dogs and up here it's very cold, yeah. and very windy. And that 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 moment of having to take my hand out of the glove to, you know, pick up the poop and put it in the bag. I mean, by the end of that, I'm literally like my hands are just the tips are yeah. ab painful. painful. And so yeah, I will yeah. blow into my, you know, mitten and I'll, but same thing for you, Laura, I will rub them together. Rub, yeah. And um, I will you know, open and close my hands really fast, you know, trying to minimize the symptoms if they start, because it is a point of like no return. I've been on a long run where I could have run for miles, but it's my fingertips that will absolutely, I'm like in excruciating pain by the end of the run. And I do the same thing as you and, oh, it burns like fire. You get that yeah. 
those hands into that hot water. Um, but it feels but like, ah, oh, I need it. Yeah. yeah. It burns. burns I mean, burns, I, I, yeah. I think yeah, like with any other diagnosis, it's kind of like there's, there's like, you just know what works and the best prevention possible. You know, like I went out to New York the other night and I was such a dummy. I was like, oh, it's nice here. And, but you know, I have to remember in New York, there's high buildings, the sun is blocked. So any of the sun warmth is gone. And I didn't bring, I didn't bring gloves or mittens. And I was like, and I had to walk like a mile. And I was just, so I just stuffed my hands up my coat. I look like a ridiculous person and I just make fist. And I'll say I, I pretty only about the last five minutes were starting to feel like, ah, a little bit of that pain. So it's just like prepare, be, you know, and I, I guess that's the best advice is just know it's going to be there and it's, you know, or live in a really warm environment. <laughs> Move. <laughs> Move. All right. We're working on that. <laughs> so hopefully that helps, Sarah. I know that's like not maybe the answer, but I think it's, it's really normal. It's very common in women. I, I have seen men with it as well, but it's very common in women. I think it's a very, it's a thermoregulation thing combined with, you know, this is like a heightened response and not all women have it, but some, when you have it, I've had it forever. Like if you have it, you kind of know it and then you just manage it. Um, and if you live in a cold environment, get the, get, the, get some hand warmers. Hand warmers. Yeah. Get them. <laughs> Well, thanks for all your questions. You can write us at support at lityoga.com with any questions. And you can always put in there anonymous if you don't want us to mention your name. Yes, you can find me and Lara on Instagram. We can DM us. I am at kbwilliams99 and Lara is at lara.hyman. You can also find us via email at support at lityoga.com. Yes. Yes. Like, like I mentioned, ah, she's leaving back around. Oh my God. I did. That's great. I know. We're like talking forever. We're like, yeah. Also we should mention, please rate review and subscribe. The most important of that being subscribe and share because, uh, we've gotten a lot of accolades for our podcast and we're so appreciative and grateful, but we want to reach more people. So it means so much to us. If you download, subscribe and share, thank you so much for for just listening. Um, we're, we're so grateful. We love doing this and you make it happen. Absolutely. And so keep pulling for us. And as always, we will keep pulling pulling for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.